Well, good morning, everyone. As we're talking about joy this morning, as we're going through our Advent uh, calendar, if you want to call it that, we're talking about finding joy in our discouragements this morning. And if we need that in any year, it would be this year. You know what I'm saying? But first, let me ask you, have you ever been to Yellowstone National Park? I mean, beautiful place. It's an amazing place. Uh, beautiful sceneries and mountains. His first national park ever established by Ulysses S. Grant. He signed that act into law. This, uh, you know, Yellowstone aside is a protected treasure of the United States. Even if you've, uh, you know, you haven't been there. I mean, you've seen the sights and through photos, just amazing of of the bison and the and the wolves and the elk and all the little creatures. I mean, it's just amazing. The the eagles are flying around. I mean, uh, the wolf is just. I mean, beautiful creatures. All sorts of smaller creatures in there. And of course, you have the mountains. The mountains are are rugged and and majestic, and and the waterfalls and the rivers. But there are also geysers. You add in water to the picture. And that's something that really stands out about Yellowstone. There's so much geothermal activity going on there. There's, it's, it, there's a huge super volcano underneath that they, they say that just, just heats everything up between the, the crust and the, and the surface. And, and it's brewing beneath that, that surface. And, and all, over the heart, uh, all over the park, there's, there's this heat brewing and it works its way through the surface. The crazy thing is, if you've not been there, we don't really know, you don't really know how many different types of geysers there are that are usually involved in Yosemite. You can definitely see, you know, the, the ones that, that we really love called, you know, like Old Faithful. I mean, it's huge. I mean, it, you know, it heats up and it blows when it blows and it's timing. It's like 180 feet uh, tall that, that the water goes and, and it's an amazing view. And, and you know, it's, it, it's from that heat that just pushes it up. And they, they can even time it down to when it's going to, to go off. And people just flood the area and it erupts about 20 times a day. It doesn't do it as often as it used to, but they know exactly when it's going to happen, and it draws big crowds. Now, there's also other well-known geysers uh, for different reasons, like the Grand uh, Parismic Geyser. I mean, this is just beautiful, all the different colors of the rainbow, and just, it's breathtaking, you know? There's also other small pools and puddles and bubbles that occasionally shoot, you know, uh, you know, spouts of superheated water up into the air, and everybody's just enthused about it. And then there's the muddy geysers, and I love these things. The muddy geysers called mud pots. My son would love to play in those, but you can't. I mean, they would burn you. They would scold you. But, there, you know, there, there's just this goo somewhere between a liquid and a solid. And it's kind of a, it looks like a pot of oatmeal on the stove simmering there. And, and the geysers just kind of, kind, of, kind of burp and boil and kind of just, you know, burble, if you want to call it that, releasing bubbles of, of heated gas into the air. They all come in different colors depending on what minerals are predominant in that area. And they remind you of lava kind of, churning and mixing in the earth. Now, at this point, you're probably wondering, why am I talking about geysers this morning? Well, geysers kind of remind me of joy. 
And similar to geysers, joy kind of bubbles and overflows when it comes from the Lord. And it kind of finds its way to the surface in one way or another. Sometimes, and for some people, there's just like a big eruption like Old Faithful. And joy just, it just blows. Everybody's just like, wow, look at that. That is of the Lord. It comes from deep inside of a person. Joy is a trait that, that we are experiencing today on this third Sunday of Advent. And if you've been journeying with us the past few weeks, you know, as we go toward Christmas, you know that we've been celebrating that. Well, this morning I want to talk about joy that, that, that kind of erupts at one point and, and kind, of, kind of stays subdued and kind of just bubbles like the mud pots at other points. And, and that's in the two women of Elizabeth and Mary. A mother's joy. There's a lot of joy throughout the biblical Christmas story, especially early in the story. But it's important to note that the joy is not separate from pain and disappointment. In fact, much of the joy is born out of long disappointment and grief. And we're going to look more closely at this as we explore the stories and experiences of Mary and Elizabeth. Luke's Christmas story begins a little earlier than, than Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus with a prophet named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth in Luke 1, 5 through 7. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, as they were both very old. Don't you love it when, when the scriptures, the word of God calls you old? It's great. This short paragraph would have spoken volumes of information to Luke's original audience. They would have understood, uh, understood, you know, you got Herod, the Roman king, uh, you know, keeping the Jews under this harsh Roman empire, uh, you know, and their control. And these are difficult times for the Jews. And then here we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of a, a priestly lineage, and in the day of, uh, uh, where a lot of religious corruption and power, uh, you know, was going on, you know, like power plays by the Pharisees and Sadducees, you have Zechariah and Elizabeth who are kind of a stark contrast. They're described as righteous, blameless, faithful. This is especially important in light of, of what Luke tells us next in the scripture. When the angel questions, uh, Luke tells us next that Zechariah and Elizabeth are old and never able to have children. This changes suddenly and miraculously when the archangel Gabriel shows up and tells Zechariah that his wife is going to have a son, a powerful prophetic son who would introduce Jesus, you know, the coming Messiah that would prepare the way of the Lord. As you know, Zechariah is overwhelmed by this news and he can hardly believe it and he kind of questions the angel and the angel says, okay, buddy, you're going to keep your mouth shut until this baby is born and that is going to be your sign for you to, to believe. 
So he was left, uh, you know, writing things down and, and kind of, you know, humming and kind of mimicking and trying to point to, to talk. And he couldn't talk for nine months. And he was trying to explain what happened. It seems Elizabeth is, is a little quicker to believe the news, thankfully. And when she becomes pregnant, it says in Luke 1.25, The Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among my people. You know, there's an odd note in the previous verse that tells us Elizabeth kind of went into seclusion at this point. For the first five months of her pregnancy, maybe this has something to do with with Elizabeth's disgrace that she just kind of mentioned. For her, the inability to have children was a stigma that would have brought lifelong pain and sorrow and shame on her. Um, not necessarily from her, but from other people and the culture at the time. That was a big deal in that culture to not have children. The great hopes of a young couple as they got married many years before of Elizabeth and Zechariah would have eventually faded through the years about having children. They would have repeatedly tried to have children. And the young Jew- Jewish women would have, you know, questioned her, but as why, when are you going to have children? And then she would have questioned herself. It would have been unfair, casting suspicion and unfounded blame on her. Yet, perhaps, there were pregnancies that, that would spark that new hope, and, and, and then, then maybe she had a miscarriage. We don't know, but, I mean, these things happen in life. And Elizabeth's self-worth probably sunk over the years as, as they passed, and that hope dimmed. And at some point, she and everyone else around would stop asking, when are you going to have a child? Maybe that is why she stayed in, you know, in seclusion for the first five months, keeping to herself and to let her hope kind of, kind of blossom into to a joy personally or to ensure that the pregnancy was going to, to indeed last and stick. You know, maybe she was simply savoring those days before uh, she came to term. Now, if you were watching a movie, this is where you would get a, some subtitle message that said, Meanwhile, in Galilee, when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, Gabriel makes another earthly appearance to Mary. And he's delivering the most miraculous pregnancy news announcement of all. Mary received the news gracefully and willingly, but at some point early on, uh, you know, she, she must have known that, that there was going to be challenges for her because she wasn't married. The scorn that she would face, that her family would face, that her fiancé would face as well, would be tremendous when it became obvious that she was pregnant and unmarried. How do you make people believe that the baby in your womb is God's son? I don't know how you do that. I mean, even Joseph did not believe the news at first, and, 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 and the, the, the angel had to come and, and assure him. He was going to quietly divorce her. Mary's journey would not have been an easy one. Maybe that's why, as Luke tells us, that Mary hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Mary must have known that her, her relative Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy, she must have heard about that. And if anyone will understand, it has to be Mary, she says. So, so she might have, have thought, and if so, she was right. 
This is where the joy starts, starts to erupt. Against the backdrop of, of disappointments, of discouragement, of disgrace and grace and shame, the joy comes bursting through for these two mothers to be. In fact, in Luke uh, 1, 40, uh, 41 through 45, it says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. What a relief this had to, it had to be for Mary. To, to, you know, she, she had all this doubt going on, and, and here she can finally just relax. She didn't have to explain herself. She didn't have to worry about anyone uh, misunderstanding or what's going on. All she had to do was say hello, and Elizabeth just knew. This was by God's design. Even her developing baby knew and leaped within her, and that was just an affirmation and encouragement that Mary needed. Her joy starts you know, bursting through as well, and she sang a song of praise and thank God. In Luke 1, 46 through 55, it starts out, it says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercies extend to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the, the, the hunger with good things, but has sent, rich, uh, sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. That is a beautiful passage of scripture and we call it Mary's song and I wonder how it went the music that went with it must have been beautiful on one level it's a celebration and a, and a connection in the midst of of miraculous events but on another level it has two expectant mothers sharing this deep understanding between each other and an affirmation to the foster and the flow of joy that no matter what happened before what is going to come in the days ahead, ahead is, is going to be full of joy. There's so much that we could take away from this story, but I would like to focus really on three ideas that we can uh, you know, apply to our own experience with joy. The first one is this. It is okay to be joyful and happy. For some of you, this is kind of a no-brainer kind of a duh type of statement. For others of you, this is kind of a subversive kind of statement that, that might make you a little uncomfortable if you really think about what I'm trying to say here. A lot of you will fall into that spectrum. Probably it, it, it all depends on your personal past and spiritual history. 
We've probably all heard the joy described as, you know, contrast to happiness. And while I understand that, uh, you know, I've probably even described the emotions in a dichotomy that divides uh, two basically, um, you know, the two basically along these lines that, that happiness is fleeting and temporary and joy is deeper and more fulfilling. Often in our Christian uh, culture, the two get split and a happy is secular and less valuable or fulfilling. And joy is spiritual and more important and more fulfilling. Is this ringing a bell with you? I mean, I would never go that far, but, but our culture has been saying that. And actually, the Bible does not make any distinction between joy and happiness. They are essentially different words of the same thing. Now, they may have slightly different nuances, like, you know, cinnamons do, but those are often cultural. Those often shift. They've been translated somewhat differently in our, in our different English translations of the Bible. But the original Hebrew and Greek terms used in the Bible to describe joy and happiness are essentially interchangeable. There, this is one premise of the book called uh, uh, Happiness by theologian Randy Alcorn. Uh, and I'm simplifying it because he actually wrote a whole book about the subject, and I don't have time to teach that. But I raise the point to basically say this, because some of us need to hear this and be re- reminded of this. It is okay to want to be happy and joyful. It is. Give yourself that. It is okay to want that. It is okay to enjoy these emotions. There's a great joy this Christmas season, and it's good to embrace and, and to, you know, to, to celebrate that joy. It certainly is, is hard to find the right balance uh, in our lives to savor and experience joy during the year of 2020. But those of you who find yourselves driven by obligation of, of busyness or guilt of, you know, I, I got to do this or I got to do that. I have to visit my family, but I don't want to fi- visit my family, but, but I need to visit my family for my mental health. I mean, all this kind of stuff, it can be a painful, difficult situation for some of us. Some of us are hurting or are grieving personally or feeling discouraged by this tumultuous year that we've been going through. And then there are those that are, that are happy to revel in the season. And we need to feel that it's okay to embrace joy. It is. God sees you no matter where you are or what you're going through on the emotional spectrum of happiness. My point here is this. Our longing for happiness and joy is a natural desire that is given by God that he's placed within us as a reflection of his own joyful nature. I love the thought of, of the laughing Jesus. I love that picture that, that somebody drew of, of Jesus really laughing and stuff because I think he had a great time with the disciples. I think he just, I mean, I think they just kind of ragged on each other and played around and stuff, not in a hurtful way, but just kind of jabbed each other and had a lot of fun. We need to come to terms with the idea that he is our source of joy and happiness. And the second thought I have is joy is our strength. 
This is a great example of the, of the principle uh, in, the, in the story of Nehemiah. And you remember Nehemiah from the Old Testament. He's an, a leader who got permission from King um, Xerxes or Ahasuerus, however you want to say it, to return from exile in Babylon and rebuild Jerusalem and starting with its walls. And the process was more than just a return to, to the physical city. It was a spiritual reawakening for the people. In chapter 8 of the, of the book of Nehemiah, he brings his people together and they bring out the law of Moses, what we would call the Bible. They bring out the law of Moses and read it. And Nehemiah is calling to the people to remember and return to their relationship with God. And as he does this, the people are just weeping and crying as they hear the word of God. But there are also tears of joy from some of the people who remember God's word from years past, but, but, whom, you know, but most of them were weeping from sadness as they recognized you know, their guilt from drifting away from God. In fact, uh, you know, there's so much beauty in the midst of the scene. The Bible tells us in Nehemiah 8, 10, it says, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some of those who have prepared, you know, nothing. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is our strength or your strength. And he was saying, celebrate it, guys. Enjoy it. Why was Nehemiah saying this? Because there's a time for happiness that God has brought back to us. It's restoring our heart. It's restoring our cities if we allow it to. Because God is a source of our joy. God is the source of our happiness. And it fuels us and it sustains us. Our true source, the source of, of happiness and joy and fulfillment comes from Christ himself. You know, Christmas is a season of joy because the Messiah has brought joy into the world. It's not just about a baby being born. It's about what he brought and that joy that, that he brings with that. It's provided a way for ultimate fulfillment of life. Peter describes it like this in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith and salvation of your souls. I love that. An inexpressible and glorious joy. I mean, that sounds like deep stuff, doesn't it? It's the kind that finds a, the source deeper than, than, our, than our pain and our sorrow, whatever situation we're going through, the, the problems that can kind of bury us. It is deep well that, that we draw upon no matter what we're facing. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is, this is do, not, do not worry, be happy, put on that plastic smile. Yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah, show up to church. I'm just smiling because that's what we're supposed to do at church. Yay! God is great. I'm not saying we should act like that. I mean, that, that is being fake. But 
Sometimes the joy is a rushing fountain that erupts within our spirits no matter what's going on. And sometimes it's, it's this thick, slow bubble that comes to the surface. And wherever you find yourself today, let me encourage you that the joy of the Lord can be felt no matter what you're facing. And that leads us to our final idea. We can choose joy. You know, there are a lot of uses for the word rejoice in the Bible. But ironically, it's not a word that we use in our culture that much. Maybe we should start using it more often. Rejoice is a verb. It's a, the verb form of joy. It is an action, a feeling of expressing joy and delight. And if you look a little more closely at the word, you will notice it begins with a, a prefix re. Think back to your grammar class and, and think of uh, other English words that start with re. And you will remember that this prefix means once more, or again, or a return to. So to rejoice is return to joy. It is a choice and an action that we can take to return to joy. I like to, you know, I'd like that to, to add that for us, to, to return to our source of joy. It's, to, it's an idea of return to Jesus. You know, what's interesting is, is I tell my kids, and, and, you know, right now Brandon understands it and Grace, and we're slowly understanding it, but, but the whole idea of you choose your attitude. You know, you can either have a terrible day, something happened at the beginning of the day, and you can let that dictate your day, or you can, you can let something terrible happen at the beginning of your day, and then you can choose to be happy. You can choose to move on and move forward. And I think we as adults need to remember that as well, that we need to remember that, that God is a source of our joy. This is the only way that, that we can find true delight and satisfaction of life. And I believe the process is the same for all of us, whether you're feeling the happiness and joy of the season or not. Whether we're, we're buried in discouragement and everything that's going on and nothing's going our way, you know, none of us can, can conjure an unending supply of feel-good happiness all the time. That fake smile, none of us can do that. No matter how optimistic or positive you, you know, your nature or your natural dis, uh, disposition is, sooner or later, we all have one of those days. And for some people, that turns into weeks. And some people, that turns into years. And in reality, we all have them more often than we think and than we'd like to. This is where the re comes in. This is where we, we must return to, to re, you know, regularly, daily, constantly to Jesus because he is our source of joy. It is why rejoicing is the process of refueling our tanks. That's why we need to go back to Jesus, restoring our strength, renewing our spirits. You know, it's reconnecting with our Savior. And in this process, the Apostle John's words make you know, much more sense to us when he encourages us in James 1, 2 through 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, 
because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. You know, I've got to admit, sometimes the last thing we want to hear when we're hurting is that. Joy can feel so far away when we're grieving or depressed or afraid as our pain and our problems kind of loom over us and that anxiety builds up in us. But let me encourage you that James is not necessarily saying, be happy about your trials and your problems. James is saying, find joy in them. And you're like, what? That's what he's saying. And how you find joy in them in those situations is you see the big picture. You see that God is in control. You see that there is a way that God is going to get you through this valley of the shadow of death and to the other side, to the green pastures. The bigger picture is that God is working for, for good in every situation. The bigger picture starts at one point, and that one point is Jesus. In difficult times, there's much encouragement to be found in the, in the rejoicing of the Psalms. Psalm 13 is a great example. It begins with this, this painful cry, and it says, How long, Lord, would you forget about me? And you're like, where's the rejoicing in that? Well, you're going to God, and it begins with, How long, Lord, would you forget about me? Will it be forever? It ends with a, a reminder and declaration, but I'm trusting in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. They're seeing the bigger picture, and that's what's important. It's just one of many you know, examples throughout the Psalms. The Psalms are honest and raw, and the writers are, are, you know, pour out their feelings in these prayer-like poems, and sometimes it seems like they're just going after God, and God's going, you know, God takes it. He's a big boy. He's God. But there's these songs and prayers and so forth, and then we see a transition through the process of remembering who he is and a stirring themselves to, to rejoicing. And finding their strength in and from God himself. This is how we know when we find authentic joy. This is how we can celebrate the, the season. And remember, uh, you know, about turning to Jesus, even in the year 2020, you know, he, he, is, he is the one that gives us that joy. Let's rediscover Christmas this year by embracing that joy. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're going through, let us remember each day the source of our joy, Jesus Christ. Let us seek our, our happiness, not in the seasonal trappings and the, and the things that we did last year, the year before that we really enjoyed that we might miss out on this year, but let us seek that in seeking the source of joy. Jesus Christ. Let us choose to continue the process of rejoicing despite the, the pains and challenges we are facing by remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. Let us heed the good news uh, the, that the angels brought forth 
with great joy to all of us that a Savior is born, our Messiah, our Lord. And He will carry us, carry us on to completion, no matter what's going on in our life, if we allow Him to. So we can do this, what Nehemiah says. Go and, and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The big picture. Let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful that in our time of sorrow, in our time of pain, that we can remember you, and you can bring us joy. In our time of excitement, in our time of celebration, we can remember you and you are our joy. That no matter what happens in our life, you are the source of it all for us. And we pray that this season, that that can bubble over. That people can ooh and awe, not because of the bubbles, but because of what you're doing. And they can see an active heat below. They can see the Holy Spirit and they recognize that as God. And maybe we will burst forth like the guys are old faithful. That when we remain faithful, our joy comes from the, the ultimate source, and that is you, Jesus. We thank you for choosing to come, to, to prepare a way to, to, for us to be able to come to you. And we pray that in the midst of our troubles, that we seek you for our joy. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you with joy this season. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.